And Jesus should be our life. And uh, should be everything that defines it. And all of that should be encompassed in Him. And we'll learn a little bit of that this morning. As we look here at our text this morning, He starts off and Jesus is in the process of recovering Peter. And so Peter has... Uh, you know, kind of been the face of this group of disciples as they have been called and for three and a half years have walked. And uh, he's that we, we know him and we reflect on him as being a little bit brash, a little bit quick to act, a little bit uh, hasty sometimes, pretty aggressive at times. He's uh, pretty opinionated and lets his opinion known. He's not afraid to uh, to speak what kind of pops into his head. And so uh, sometimes that serves them well, and sometimes it gets them in trouble. And uh, and I think there's a lot of us that can relate to that. And so we, uh, but you know, a lot of times Peter gets the, kind of the bad rap of the apostles. But Jesus said to him, you'll remember, as he uh, was preparing, and, and and Peter was loyal. Peter was quick to defend. He, you remember, chopped off the ear of the high priest servant as. Uh, as uh, they came to arrest Jesus. And by the way, he wasn't aiming for the ear. He was aiming to take off the whole head. Uh, and so uh, the man moved quickly enough and Jesus healed him uh, and then was taken into custody. But Jesus had told Peter that I have prayed for you because Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. And he said, but when you are recovered or when you are converted, and, you know, we think about the word convert to be converted and we think about salvation. And in Peter's case, it wasn't about his salvation. It was about Jesus reclaiming him and taking him essentially to another level in his walk with Christ and establishing him. Now, Peter has uh, was one of the first ones, if not the first one to the to the grave, as far as the apostles themselves go. Uh, but even still after that, he struggled. We find him after that. Uh, wrestling with all that he's experienced and walking with Jesus and the arrest of Jesus and his betrayal of him uh, and then his uh, his coming to them in the upper chamber and, and ministering to them. And yet still, uh, Peter leaves and goes back to his former profession. Not only does he go back to his former profession, but just to kind of uh, solidify his influence amongst the group, uh, there were about half of them that went back with him. They left the ministry and they went back to work uh, at their previous jobs. And and then Jesus, of course, comes to them and uh, is and calls out to him and fills the net with fish after they had fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus prepares uh, the bread and fish there uh, for breakfast as they come ashore. And then uh, he begins to speak with them and begins to love Peter. And then he confronts them. Uh, with his failure. He confronts him with his denial. It's no accident that Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Three times Jesus had denied him and now three times, uh, or Peter had denied Jesus and now three times uh, Jesus brings to his mind that I am restoring you. I am converting you. I am recovering you. Now, as we move on and to get to really the message this morning, uh, Jesus continuing in verse 18, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Now what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, Peter, when you were young, you, you clothed yourself. When you were young, you were able to stand up and to 
to get yourself ready for what was coming next and the day. Uh, but when you're old, uh, there comes a time when someone else has to take care of you. Someone else has to address you. Now, Jesus here specifically is speaking to him about how he's going to die. What he's doing is reassuring Peter, listen, I am converting you. And from this point forward, you will be empowered and you will stand faithful, but you will sacrifice yourself for me. All of those times that you said, we will not deny you. We will not let this happen to you. We will not forsake. We, uh, th that time in your life is over. I am converting you. I am walking with you. You are going to follow me and I'm going to do something spectacular with your life. I'm going to uh, do something that uh, you couldn't comprehend if I were to tell you everything that I was going to do in detail. <clears throat> By the way, Jesus says the same thing to us this morning. He wants to do great things uh, with our lives. And, and, he, and if there's any doubt, he says to him, this spake he in verse 19, signifying by what death he should glorify God. Peter, you are going to, from this moment forward, walk with me. Uh, you're going to find empowerment. You are going to be used in a mighty way. But you are going to be faithful to the death. But you are, you are going to die in a way that glorifies God, in a way that points men to Jesus. Now, we know historically that that, that was fulfilled in Rome when Nero crucified Peter. And Peter famously said, I don't want to be or I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was and was then crucified upside down. Uh, there was an incredibly terrible time in Rome, and Nero was an incredibly oppressive uh, ruler. The term that we use at Fourth of July for Roman candles come from this time uh, in history. And what a real Roman candle was was a Christian tied to a stake and lined in the streets of Rome and set on fire alive and burned to death for the cause of Christ. They would not deny their faith. Then they would. Then the, the the games of the Colosseum and being fed to the lions and all of those things that were taking place. And here's uh, Peter in this midst of persecution would give. And Jesus tells him, "You will give your life for me." Now in verse number twenty, he says, "Then Peter." Or excuse me, back up a little bit. Verse nineteen again. Then spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him. Follow me. Follow me. Now, follow is a simple word, but it has layers of meaning. And we're going to examine that just a little bit as we get started this morning. Uh, but as Jesus is in this process of reclaiming Peter, he also has to redirect his attention. We are masters of diverting responsibility if we don't want to accept it or embrace it. Uh, we uh, we're just it's natural to us. We're good at it. And so is Peter. And then Peter notice in verse 20, turning about, see it, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John, the apostle. Uh, he refers to himself as the, in the writing of this in this book. Uh, and so which he which also any further, if there's any doubt about who he's speaking, it's the, it's him who leaned upon or laid his head upon Jesus chest during the, the Last Supper before he was taken into custody prior to the crucifixion. He's the same that asked, who is it that's going to betray you? And uh, and it's and so he's he's defining here that, that Peter is asking about John. 
Peter in verse 21, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Now get the picture here. Jesus has come to Peter. He's out fishing. He fixes him breakfast. He fills up his net. He calls him in. They fellowship. Jesus recovers Peter and, and encourages him and questions him. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And just the heart-piercing conviction that Peter obviously felt when uh, when, when he, it just to the response of that, uh, when it came a second time and a third time, uh, Peter, do you uh, love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my, my sheep. Lord, feed my lamb. Three times. And you have to know that Peter in his mind is going back to the night of the arrest and those three times of denial are heavy on his heart. Feeling as if I'll never amount to anything. I'll never be able to accomplish anything for the glory of God. And Jesus essentially is saying to him, you don't have to do this on your own. I have not laid the burden upon my people for them to try to figure it out. I love you and I want to empower you uh, and understand, well, pastor, how could Jesus that loves him uh, let him die such a terrible death or suffer the persecution that we see him suffer in the book of Acts? Well, the answer to that is just simple, that Jesus loves uh, all of his creation. He loves all of the world. He died for the sins of Every man, he wants to reclaim every soul. He has paid the price. And so if my suffering and for a time in this life would help other or cause others to look to Jesus and be recovered from their sin and to accept eternal life, then that's a small price to pay because Jesus knows that when we leave this life, we're going to be given a brand new body and we'll be forever for all of eternity without suffering and we'll be fully restored. And, uh, and we look at what Jesus is preparing in his heart but what's Peter's response oh Lord that, that sounds good but I, I, wait a minute that sounded good until I had to die on the cross what about him in other words am I the only one that's going to pay a price am I the only one that's going to have to suffer am I the only one to bear the, the burden of the gospel to carry the gospel to steward it uh, to a lost world. And, uh, and he looks at John and, uh, and he says, what about him? How many times do we find ourselves when we, we uh, you know, children, we do it naturally, but oftentimes as adults, we never seem to kind of grow out of that. And we, uh, it's, it's real easy whenever something is coming upon us, whether it's at work or whether it's at uh, home or church or whatever environment, uh, and, and we maybe didn't quite fulfill something and the heat's coming down. Well, what about them? Why? Because then we can say, well, that's not fair. And if it's not fair, somehow we feel relieved of our duty or resolved of our guilt. Or uh, and, and Jesus' answer is not only interesting and appropriate, but it's powerful and we should learn from it. And he says, hey, if I, if I will that he tarry until I come, what is that to you? What difference does it make to you? I gave you a command. I told you what you would do. I gave you my will for your life. But what about him? What about him? We're not talking about him. And Jesus just looks at him and says, we're not talking about John right now. And what difference does it make if I want him to sit here and to be on easy street until I come back? and reclaim my bride, then what is business of that is yours? I gave you something to do. Get to it.
And so often we come to a place where we fall into the trap of wanting to be, you know, treated equally or fairly or in our mind. Uh, and what Jesus is saying to Peter here is, uh, you know, and, and by the way, John was going to pay a high price for the glory of God, too. And Jesus easily could have said, well, he's not going to go down the same path that you're going to go down, Peter, but he is going to be uh, he is going to be dipped in boiling oil and he is going to bear the burns and those scars on his body. And he is going to be exiled to an island and he is going to see visions and write the revelation uh, that that's my plan for him. Uh, and then Peter would have probably felt better. He would have probably said, well, uh, well, at least I'm not the only one. Whew. You know, somebody's in this with me. Now, but that's not what Jesus' response was. Jesus' response was, Peter, doesn't matter what I, my will is for John. I've expressed to you my will for you. I've expressed to you my plan for you. I've told you what I want to do and to accomplish in your life. I created you for this purpose. I created him for another purpose. Don't worry about someone else's purpose. You just worry about what I've created and called you to do. Follow me. Peter, yes, you failed. And I told you that Satan wanted to destroy you. But I also told you that I was going to convert you. And now that I have touched you, met with you, forgiven you, restored you, now that I have converted you, follow me. I would say this morning that if you're here and you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that I may not as your pastor know what God's specific individual will for your life is, but I do know this. I know that it is the will of God for every Christian, for every believer to follow him. Follow him. So, Pastor, what does that look like? My, what does that look like in my life? Let's when you spend time with Jesus. How did Peter find out? He spent time with the Lord. He'll tell you. He'll reveal it to you. He'll make it crystal clear, and he'll use the Word of God and the preaching of God's Word to to confirm it in your heart. And once you know what God wants you to do, then do it. So. Follow me. So here's the command. So we have to understand what is it exactly that Jesus is commanding him to do. Now, the word here for uh, for follow is akalutheo uh, in, in the Greek. And it, it just simply means uh, an area or, or, or as a particle of union or as a part of a union is the literal meaning. Now, that means uh, to be in the same way with. It means to follow one who precedes me. As his attendant, it means to join one as his disciple. So what Jesus is saying here specifically is, Peter, be my disciple. So wait a minute. Peter was his disciple for the last three and a half years already. No, Peter, be my disciple. In other words, take it to a different level. Because there's all different measures of following. Webster lays it out when he says to us, uh, in, in his definition for the word follow, means to go after or behind, but in the same direction. And so if I, if I am uh, going behind someone, so for example, if I were to be out walking down the street this morning and uh, I come out the side door of the building and I look up and, uh, and, and there goes Brother Dave Bartlett uh, walking out the parking lot. Now, I'm over here by the office door, and he's going out the parking lot down Archer Road. Then I begin to go after him, but I'm keeping a distance. I'm following him, but I'm not 
necessarily a disciple of him. We're walking in the same direction. We're going the same general, have the same general disposition and attitude. Uh, we, uh, we may or may not be going after the same thing, but to the casual observer, I am following him. And so there are a lot of people that follow Jesus that way. There are a lot of people that simply follow Jesus from a distance. There are a lot of people that want to put on uh, a measure of Christianity. A lot of people that want to just uh, have Christian values that kind of govern their life. If I could say it this way, because this is a little bit more culturally relevant today, many people identify as Christian. You understand what I'm saying there? A lot of people, you can identify, people identify as things that they're not. It doesn't make it true because they identify that way. We are what we are. You know, I could, I, I could identify as, as Puerto Rican this morning, but I, I'm not. I choose that because my wife identifies as a Puerto Rican, and she is. Natural born from the island, not a pretend Puerto Rican that was born and raised in the States. The real deal. A Boricua. We can identify as a lot of things, but it doesn't make it so. And so a lot of people just identify as Christian. They identify as a follower of Christ, but they're, they're good people. They have, they're kind. Uh, they, at least most of the time, they make an effort to uh, have good values and to treat people kindly and compassionately, but, they, uh, but, they, but they're just following. It also means to accompany. Now, to accompany, if I go back to my same little illustration here, uh, now I meet Brother Dave as he walks out the side door and we're walking together side by side. Now, we have to be in agreement about some things to do that. And the Bible tells us in the book of Amos, can two walk together except they be agreed? So we're gonna, we have to agree at some measure on some things. Okay, where are we going? Well, we're, we're going we're gonna to walk to Kroger. Okay, well, it's that way, so we're going to go together. So we're in agreement about our destination. Now, there are a lot of Christians that we could identify about what our destination is going to be, uh, but we may not agree about the, the, the way to get there. Now, when it comes to being a saved man, when it comes to putting my faith and trust in Christ, that there is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other way to heaven but to seek forgiveness of Jesus Christ and to accept for our sins and to accept him as our Savior. That's it. There's no other way. It's, it's crystal clear in the Scripture. There's no way to argue against that. If you were a Bible-believing person, uh, and even those that choose not to believe uh, are going to find out when they stand before him, when the Bible comes true, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Jesus Christ is Lord, that that will come to pass, uh, that, that that is just, it's just truth, it's gospel, it's what is written in God's word, it will come to be. We can disagree, we, we, if we agree on that point, there are a lot of other routes that we could go. For example, we could go straight down Archer Road and we could take a right when we get to Garth and we go right to the Kroger's and all that. Or we could get to Main Street, take a right and go up to, uh, to Hunt and take a left. Or we could go down and we could take a longer way around. There's all kinds of different ways. I was coming back from over that way to the church the other day and I come off of Garth and turned on to Archer uh, and then I had to make another turn because the line trucks had the road blocked and I couldn't get around. And uh, I think it was Wednesday night, Brother Stone that preached on Wednesday night, our missionary to Canada was following me and 
And I thought I felt bad because now he don't know where we're going. I told him we were going to turn here. And then I just jetted back out around this truck and kept going uh, and then turned down and uh, wound my way back through that neighborhood to get back to Archer past all of the uh, all of the trucks. And so uh, but but we had to be in agreement that we were going to the same place. But there are maybe different ways to get there. In other words, there's only one way to heaven. Uh, but there are a lot of different avenues through the Christian life. Uh, some people are fully committed. Some people are casually committed. Some people believe uh, in some doctrine things that, that I wouldn't necessarily agree with, but they love the Lord and they're, and they're committed to reaching the lost with the gospel. Uh, and so I may not be able to walk with them in some areas, but, but we're headed in the same general uh, direction. So it means to accompany, but it also means to imitate or to copy. And so as I get closer to the Lord, I begin to become an imitator of the Lord. Now, there's two different ways to imitate. I can imitate facetiously. I can imitate uh, just a, as a, in a way of mockery, or I can imitate because I admire. Now, remember, we talked about worship a few weeks ago. We are to be in awe of his holiness, of his glory, of his power, of who he is and what he's done in our life. And we should be imitators of Christ uh, and little Christ, and that's what Christian literally means, uh, because we are becoming like him. It means to embrace. Now we're getting down to the heart of what Jesus is moving Peter from. Peter, stop imitating me and embrace me. Stop imitating me and adopt and maintain my values. It means to have or entertain like opinions. In other words, now Peter's mind is starting to think like the mind of Christ. And by the way, that's what the word of God does in our heart as we learn of him and as we grow in him and as we grow in his grace and we become uh, true disciples of him to entertain like opinions, to think or to believe like another. It's an amazing thing to witness someone who's never heard the gospel, be exposed to the gospel, to have the Lord Jesus reveal himself to them over a period of time through the, the reality of relationships and things going on in their life and, uh, and exposure to the word of God. By the way, faith is a requirement for salvation. I have to put my faith in him. Pastor, well, I've never heard scripture. I don't know. I don't even know if I believe that. How, how am I ever going to get there? Well, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more of God's word that I am exposed to and I examine, the more closely I examine it, the more I experience it, the more God is going to reveal himself to me to the point that I become convinced in my own heart. Listen, it's not our job to go out and convince the world that they need Jesus. It's our world. It's our job to introduce Jesus and to lift up Jesus so that the Holy Spirit can convince them of the truth of God's word and what he wants to do in their life. And so we're talking about uh, being of like mind to, to begin to think and believe like Jesus does. And then that leads to obedience, to be obedient, to observe, to practice, to act in conformity to, uh, and, and, and then to let to be led or guided by. And so if I'm following Jesus, what Jesus wants for me is for me to allow him to lead and to guide my life. Now, if that's going to take place in our lives, there's uh, a series of things that happen in us as we uh, as we come to say, yes, Lord, I will be a follower of you. The command this morning is simple. Follow me. I, it's not the pastor saying, follow me. I, I would say what the apostle Paul said to those that he led. I he said to them, follow me as I follow Christ. And the one that we're really following is Jesus. And the one that has all the answers is Jesus. The one that has the power is Jesus. We're here uh, not to follow a pastor, not to follow a staff, uh, not to follow the guidelines of uh, the doctrine of a church, but to follow Jesus. That's our purpose. 
And so when we come and we look here, uh, what is the progression here? Well, I think we see here, and I'm going to say first, but I'm not getting into uh, the main points of the message yet. Still, this is still introduction. Uh, it starts by following. Uh, following is a personal commitment. Okay, so when I set out and I get introduced to Jesus and Jesus and I enter into a relationship, then I have to make a decision. He says, follow me. My question is, am I, gonna, am I going to? And Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Peter has to make a decision here. Peter's at a decision point in his life. Uh, will I obey him? He's loved me. He's sacrificed. He's recovered me. He's done all this for me. Will I follow him? Uh, we find ourselves this morning in a similar situation. You see, I was the lost sinner as you were and on our way to hell. But Jesus loved us and he gave himself to pay our sin debt. He rose from the grave and conquered death and hell. He has the keys to it now. He's sitting at the right hand of his father, making intercession for us. And the Holy Spirit is working in our heart and bringing conviction to our sin and leading and guiding us and growing us in his grace and empowering us to share our faith with the lost world around us. And all of that is working in conjunction with the will of God. And, and, and Jesus is not just saying to one of the apostles that walked with him on this earth, follow me. He says to you and I this morning, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, follow me. The question is, will we? And the answer to that for some is yes. For some, it's an emphatic no. For some, it's a, uh, it's a, well, I'll accompany you. But Jesus isn't looking for someone to accompany him. And Jesus is looking for someone to carry on his work. And so some would say, well, I'll accompany you, Lord. Some would say, well, I'll accompany you and I'll walk with you a little closer and I'll, I'll even imitate you in some areas of my life. Fewer still will embrace him and embrace what the word of God says and allow him to shape and to mold us into what he wants us to become. And so if all those things are going to come to pass, then I have to realize that following is a personal commitment. I have to be willing to make a personal commitment to follow him. He's done everything that he's done for us. Will we follow him? Not only that, but following requires trust. I'm not, this is the bottom line, the nuts and bolts of it is I'm not going to follow someone that I don't trust. If I can't trust them, I'm not going to invest and spend my time following them. And Jesus says, follow me. And I'm saying this morning uh, that he's worthy to be followed, that he's trustworthy. That I have walked with him for many years and, uh, and he is trustworthy. I made a commitment long ago and I can trust him. Following, not only does following require commitment and trust, but it requires focus. What does he say? John says, hey, or, or Peter says, well, what about John over here? Well, if I will until he tarries till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. See, we have to stay focused. Now, Peter's losing focus. Jesus gets his focus back on, uh, on, on what's important. Now, not only that, but it requires humility. A true walk with the Lord Jesus Christ is going to require that we are, are humble in our person and in our spirit. When God begins to work through you, when God begins to use you, when God begins to, uh, to, to bless you, it could be easy to get swallowed up and lifted up in pride. Hey, look what I've done. We haven't done anything. God does. Jesus does. And we're going to see in the book of Acts in a moment as he, uh, as he gets there that Peter does some incredible things, that God does incredible things through Peter. 
amazing things. And Peter had to stay humble before God. But following also requires obedience. There are things that Jesus required of him uh, that were difficult things. And so will I uh, follow him when it's easy or will I follow him uh, when it, when it's when it's just because it's the right thing to do? Now, five things this morning. Don't let that scare you. We're going to move through these very quickly this morning. Number one, Peter followed Jesus to Pentecost. Jesus, Peter followed Jesus to Pentecost. Remember, he's been through all these turmoil, all these troubles. Jesus is there. He witnesses the ascension. And in Acts chapter 2 and in verses 36 through 41 in particular, and the the story entails more than that, but I've been preaching through that on Sunday nights now uh, for several weeks. And I'm not going to re-preach all of those messages. I'm just going to uh, kind of hit a couple of highlights here uh, to show that Peter was willing to follow him to Pentecost. Pentecost was not an easy thing for him to follow to, but it was necessary. It was a progression in the step. Uh, This requires Peter to demonstrate that, yes, Lord, I am committed to you. Remember that the Holy Spirit had not yet come. He was about to come, uh, but Peter continued to follow. He stayed committed until he received that endowment of power from the Holy Spirit uh, in Acts chapter 2. Now, in verse number 36, <coughs> Peter, excuse me, is preaching. And he says that, and he's preaching hard, and he's preaching to those that have crucified Christ. And he says uh, in verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter, and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, uh, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Listen, he's saying, listen, repent of your sin, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and identify yourselves with the one whom you crucified. It is a shift. It's not just a matter. And listen, the Apostle Paul uh, that is uh, that is going to come is going to demonstrate this as well. And, and so Peter's here showing the way and following the Lord. Uh, and he's and God induced him with power and uses him. So there's two thoughts about this. And we'll move on to the next point about Peter following Jesus to Pentecost and what he's doing here at Pentecost. As he preaches, he is number one, telling others. If I am a true follower of Jesus Christ, if I am someone who is committed to him, who is obedient to him, who believes what Jesus believes, who thinks like Jesus is thinking, if God has recovered me and converted me, then I will understand this morning that it is not just my obligation, but it should be the motivating force behind my life to tell others about Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. And to demonstrate what he's what he can do for them by showing what he's done in me. And Peter begins to tell them he's telling others, but he's not just telling them. He's telling them with power. It's not just Peter standing up and spouting and spewing words. It is the Holy Ghost of God united with him and living in him and flowing out of him that makes it powerful. You see, what makes the message of the gospel powerful is when the person with whom you share it can look at your life and see that your life is authentic. To see that you are genuine. To see and to sense 
that there's something supernatural about this God, about this message, about this working of the Spirit within me. As I begin to get stirred and confronted with my sin, as I begin to see Jesus for who He is and myself for who I am, and as I do that and as I'm committed to Him, Peter followed Him to Pentecost, and he stood to those that, <coughs> excuse me, who previously he had denied Christ before, and he said, you're the ones that crucified Him. He called them out. He presented this Jesus that was their Messiah. And they were convicted to the point that they said, what are we going to do? We've killed the Holy One. And he said, repent of your sin and be baptized. Identify with him. Don't play. There's no half measures. There's no, uh, there's, there's no, uh, there's no safe guard or safe measure to take. Uh, just give yourself to Christ. So we see first that Peter followed Jesus to Pentecost. Secondly, consider that we see that Peter followed Jesus to the temple. Peter followed Jesus to the temple. In Acts chapter 3 and verses 1 through 9, <clears throat> of the story about John and Peter, the same John that he questioned, what about him, Lord, went up together into the temple, the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And so here go Peter and John, and they are following Jesus. And the Holy Spirit leads them to go to the temple. And as they go to the temple, they see a man. Uh, remember, he's telling others. They see a man who has crippled, who is lame since birth, that all of the world knows. And this man says, hey, uh, would you give me some help? Would you uh, would you give me an offering? Would you give me some, uh, some money? I'm crippled. I'm lame. I need to. This is the only way that I could make a living. And Peter looked at him and he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give it to thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And then as he stretched out his hand and that man demonstrated his own faith by reaching back and making an effort to stand on legs that he knew wouldn't work, the Holy Spirit empowered him. And Jesus touched him through the apostle and he stood. And he went into the temple leaping and shouting, praising God. And all of those who once yelled to crucify him now stand in awe and amazement that this man that was lame since birth is now praising God and walking and running through the temple. And I would say this morning that Peter demonstrates to us here as he followed Jesus into the temple that not only was he willing to tell others and not only did he tell others with power, but that Peter's touch changed life. This man's life was never the same. This, life, this man's life was changed forever. Well, pastor, wasn't it Jesus that touched and said, yes, it was. But he used Peter like he wants to use you. I'm not saying this morning that you're going to go out to some crippled person. Those times in Scripture really have passed. We have the full word of God. And yes, the Lord can heal, but that's not the way that he operates in this present age. What I'm saying is this. As that just like Peter, who is following Jesus, allows the Holy Spirit to work through him, can touch someone's life, so can your life and my life touch someone's life. So can your life change someone else's life. So can your walk with God change someone else's life. So can your touch impact the life of another. Now what happened? P Peter's faith increased the faith of others. Here's this man. You think about it. Here's Peter, and he looks at this man sitting on the side of the road, and he doesn't even hesitate. The man says, will you help me? Hey, listen, I don't have any money, but I'll give you what I have, and what I have is Jesus. 
There's no hesitation. There's no, Lord, are you sure that you want to do this now? And I mean, if we were going to do that, we'd have to stop and say, okay, Lord, this is a big ask here. Uh, so if, if I'm going to ask for something this big, am I, uh, I want to make sure that you're going to deliver. Peter didn't hesitate. His, his following of Christ, his walking together with Christ, his thinking like Jesus prompted him as he's led by the Holy Spirit to reach out to this man. And he said with confidence and he said with power and he said with faith, stand up and walk. And his faith inspired that man to reach his hand up and to begin to stand what I'm saying this morning is that as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that Peter, as we follow him where he leads us, will be telling others, will be telling others with power and our lives and the Holy Spirit flowing through us. Well, our touch can change someone's life and our faith can inspire someone else's faith to increase. Thirdly, I would say this. We see Peter follow Jesus to persecution. See, it's not just all about following an easy path. It's about following the path that the Lord has ordained for us. Sometimes it's good and fun and easy, and sometimes it's difficult and challenging. Sometimes it'll mean sickness and disease. Sometimes it'll mean attack and abuse. Paul, Peter followed Jesus to persecution. Notice in Acts chapter number 4, and the first four verses, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them into hold in the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. This is where we're preaching tonight, and this exact verse is right here. So I'm not going to say too much here because I don't want to get sidetracked into tonight's message. But I just make two statements about this. Peter followed Jesus into persecution. He preached. He's arrested. He's going to jail. And I would say this, that he, he, he was persecuted in spite of God's power on his life. See, we would look at this and we'd say, okay, uh, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm being persecuted. Help! Get me out of this. I, you gave me this great power to preach a moment ago. Why did you forsake me? Jesus hadn't forsaken him. This was part of the plan. This was part of the fulfillment of Jesus' plan for his life. It was building upon greater things that were to come. It was preparing the way for greater miracles that would be done. It was preparing the way for the church to be inspired by how their prayer would liberate him at some point. Maybe not in this exact instance, but uh, but moving forward, we know that it's not going to be the last time uh, that he's incarcerated. So Peter follows Jesus regardless of whether the path is easy or difficult. Now I want you to notice in verse number 16 of chapter 4 in the book of Acts. The result here, here are these men. I'm going to tell you more tonight about exactly who they are and what their belief systems were and, uh, and the, the turmoil that was going on within their own, uh, their own lives and hearts and, and belief systems here. Uh, but, uh, but they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with Peter and John, and they're struggling with this issue. Uh, and in verse 16, uh, I mean, and what they want to do is put them to death. What they want to do is to discredit them, to put them to death, and to make the problem go away but they've got a problem everybody saw what God had done 
Everyone saw how this man was healed. Everyone knew uh, that, and, and 5,000 of those people just trusted in this Messiah that they want to kill these men for preaching. And here's their problem, and here's their solution, or what they state, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. They're saying, We have something here that we want to deny, but the entire city knows it's true. We can't deny it. And the power of God working in the heart of a Christian who is genuine and authentic, who is following Christ, who is walking with Him, who is in prayer with Him, who is empowered by Him, who is telling others with power, who is, who is allowing God to work through them so that other lives are touched and changed for the, by the gospel forever uh, and, and, and use their life to increase the faith of others as their faith increases, is now persecuted in spite of the power, but it is undeniable. What the lost world needs to see is a people that follow Jesus to the point that God working in and through your life and my life becomes undeniable even to the biggest skeptic. They may reject it. They may become a scorner. They may buckle down and get hardened because they just don't want to accept it. But in their heart, they know that as the Holy Spirit brings conviction and compels them, they become more and more convinced, at least in their heart, that this is true. Why? Because there's a man that followed Jesus. There's a man who was willing, if God's path took him to the jail cell, to go. He was persecuted in spite of his power, but that power was undeniable. Even the greatest skeptic could not deny him. Fourthly, consider that Peter followed Jesus in prayer. Peter followed Jesus in prayer. Chapter 4 of the book of Acts in verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Isn't it interesting? Here's Peter in jail. And his prayer request is not, Lord, would you get me out of here? His prayer request is, Lord, would you help me speak with boldness? Help me preach the truth. Help me share the gospel that I may speak thy, that they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. God answered that prayer. And I would say just two things here. First, that prayer shakes the world. You have someone in your life that's a hardcore non-believer. They're just not getting it. They're resistant what they need is not you breathing down their neck. What they need is your authentic life lived in front of them as you speak the truth in love, but pray for them. Because what's going to move them from a lack of understanding, what's going to make the light come on, what's going to cause them to soften their heart and to receive truth is the power of prayer. Are we praying like Jesus prayed? Have we followed Jesus in prayer? Because prayer will shake this world and prayer will empower the believer to speak the truth even when it's hard. Lastly, this morning, Peter followed Jesus to a cross. We know, as I mentioned earlier, that Nero crucified Peter in Rome. I want you to notice just a couple of thoughts about this. 
as we wrap up this morning. In Mark chapter number 8 and verse number 34, Jesus speaking here, talking about uh, the value of the soul and the, and the true use of our lives for His glory. Verse 34, it says, And when He had called the people unto Him with His disciples also, He said unto them, Whosoever will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. In other words, you've got to make a choice. You have to be committed. And in order to be committed, you have to trust Me. And once you've trusted me, there's going to be a lot of things you're going to buy for your attention. You're going to have to stay focused. And when I begin to work through you, you're going to have a tendency to kind of get puffed up and say, look at what I've done. Never forget, it's not what you've done. It's what I'm doing through you. Stay humble and stay obedient to where I lead you. Peter followed Jesus to the cross. Jesus said, take up thy cross and follow me. What does that humility require? What is the cost of discipleship? What is the cost of following Jesus? Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 13, he speaks to that. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 13, when he said, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. In other words, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, put, a, put aside your own ambition, put aside your own desires, put aside your, your own dreams and follow me. All of those things may be good. Sometimes we get to thinking and everything is either good or bad. Well, pastor, I want to do this with my life. What's wrong with that? Well, maybe there's nothing wrong with that. I would say to you, if that's God's will for your life, and that's exactly what you need to do, and that's how you bring honor and glory to Him, and that's how you follow Him. But if He's called you to do something that you're not willing to do, then I'm not committed, and I'm not trusting, or I'm distracted. I'm not following. Follow Him. What Jesus wants is for us to follow Him. What the world needs is for us to follow Him, not half-heartedly, not at a distance, not partially, but fully committed to our Savior. I Listen, they say, man, Pastor, Jesus expects a lot. Yeah, He does. And He has every right to. He has every right to, first of all, because He created us. And the Creator has all authority and every right to demand anything that it desires out of that which He's created. But beyond that, the fact that He has done for us everything that He asked us to do for Him gives Him the right to say, follow me. Oh, pastor, how could I do that? Well, you just have to make a choice. There's a point in time in my life I had to make a decision. There was a point in time in my life that I had to say, God, you've called me to preach. And yes, you've given me this great secular job and you've advanced me through the company and you've put me in a leadership role within this plant uh, and, and, uh, and the sky is the limit career-wise within this company. But there came a day when we had to choose. Are we going to follow our own dreams? Are we going to follow the things of this flesh, of this world? Not bad things, good things. Or am I going to follow Jesus? 
There came a day when I, by faith, had to tender a resignation. There came a day when, by faith, I had to walk away from over two-thirds of my salary to shift into ministry. There came a day when I had to decide if I was going to follow him from a distance, whether I was going to follow him side by side, or whether I was going to allow him to flow and live through me and to serve him and give him everything that I had. May I say this morning that you will never regret giving him everything. How do you know, Pastor? Because that's what I've striven to do for my whole life. And I'm old enough now that I can look back and say that it's not always been easy, but it's always been worth it. That God's always met every need, that God's always answered prayer, that God has always uh, shown his will and made his will known. And I'm just telling you this morning that if you would answer his call to follow him, that it requires commitment. Pastor, how in the world did you step out? How did you leave uh, that, that, that portion of salary behind? Well, we had to come together as a husband and wife and pray and seek the will of God. And when it became clear to us both, we trusted Jesus enough to take the step. Do we trust him? See, commitment requires trust. Peter stands here on the bank and Jesus is telling him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Follow me. Make the commitment, Peter. Commit to me. Oh, Lord, I don't know. Wait a minute, Peter. Remember, now you've been converted. Do you trust me? See, a lack of commitment is simply a lack of trust. Trust, commitment requires trust. And I promise you that as you go through life, and you commit to follow him that there are going to be days when it's not going to be the easiest thing that you've ever chosen to do. There are going to be days that are going to be incredibly rewarding. There are going to be days that you're going to rejoice and, uh, and praise God and be so grateful that you made the decision. There are going to be days that it's going to challenge your faith. Committed to you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. But when the distractions come. Will I just wander off into oblivion spiritually and get distracted? Or will I let him refocus my attention on Jesus? Will I humble myself and say, Lord, I'm overwhelmed, but I need you. Will I try to do it on my own? Will I lean on him and will I obey him? Listen, what God puts in your heart to do, you must obey. We all must. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, follow me. Jesus looks at us this morning and says, church, follow me. Jesus looks at you, put your name in the blank, and he asks, will you follow me? Not from a distance, but up close and personal.